Hello everybody, it's Gary Stuckey here, ready for another exciting episode, gonna bring it to you right now, right here on Anchor.fm, Real Music with Gary Stuckey, always fun to talk to different people and different artists that I've enjoyed listening to over the years and get to know a little bit more about them and I get to share it with you, so I'm glad you're listening in. And today I've got Fee Waybill, lead singer of The Tubes, remember that top 10 hit song, She's a beauty. Yeah, they played that on MTV like crazy. He's here talking about his career and got some great stories talking about that, you know, and maybe a surprise or two, you know. You got to find out and, and learn a few things, and uh, you'll be excited to know. Uh, you know, he's friends with Richard Marks, you know, that guy, and uh, he's got some other things to tell you. So here we go. Here is Fee Waybill. So tell me, uh, what's your earliest memory of singing? Ooh. Uh, that's a good question. Well, uh, well, I mean, my mother was, I, I mean, I, I really, I mean, I was singing from when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was... Uh, my mother was a singer. My mother was, uh, we lived in Omaha. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska. And my mother, before she was married, sang with big bands. Oh, wow. That She was like the go-to singer in Omaha. When a big band came to town, oh. they would hire her. And she, uh, you know, she knew all the standards. And she was a great singer. And, uh, uh, they we had a we had a movie theater in in Omaha called the Bijou Theater and i remember when i was a kid i used to get up in front of the movie screen before the show started and st- and jump up and down and sing and i don't really remember what i would ever sing but i was probably gosh 4 4 4 or 5 wow uh, i mean i i can hardly remember that but i remember Actually, the, the the a vivid memory of when I was in. Uh, so then we moved to Scottsdale, and so I was in elementary school. Uh, <clears throat> uh, well, actually, I was uh, I was lip syncing. I was going to say we did an assembly when I was in fifth grade. We did an assembly where uh, like a talent show, and I <laughs> I dressed up like a like a cavalry men and i lip-synced a song called please mr custer oh yeah please mr custer i don't want to go i don't want to go <laughs> yeah yeah and i would i lip <laughs> and then when the guy got shot in the end i would do like i i would you know stiffen up and fall and die and what? uh but you know now that i think of it i was lip-syncing so but that anyway, began probably back at the bijou when i was a little kid oh, wow that's that's pretty awesome. Um, well, we used to sing all the time at home. I mean, we my mother loved. Uh, ap- so anyway, she got married and had you know kids, and we moved from Omaha to Scottsdale. And uh, but we had one of those great big you know record players, a great big console yeah. record player, and we used to buy uh, soundtrack Broadway soundtrack albums. My mother loved Broadway, and. Uh, I love Broadway too. someday I'm gonna be on Broadway. There you go. That's my 
manifestation. Uh, but uh, we used to listen, to, we used to sing all the time to, you know, Camelot and yeah. Sound of Music and, uh, you know, West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all those Broadway musicals, we had every one of those soundtrack albums. Those are some good so songs. So we were always singing. In fact, we we sang all the. We had to. My dad made a rule. You know, he got so sick of it. He goes, "There's no singing at the dinner table." We'd come sit. You know, we'd come home, sit home, sit at the dinner table, and singing some song. He goes, "Okay, that's enough. No singing <laughs> at the day at the table." Ah, <laughs> uh, but but that I mean, it's so cool that you have you know your family singing and and you have memories like that, and I'm sure that influenced your. Uh, you know, abilities and, and you're singing in the future. Oh yeah. Because your mom. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I took after my mom. I loved her. She was such a great singer. And, and of course, you know, Beatles, the, as soon as the Beatles came out, that was it. I was just singing Beatles songs all day long. Right. Um, so when you, uh, you're going to college, right? Am I getting this right? You were, weren't you studying acting in college when you decided to, just leave college isn't that true yeah i was uh uh well in high school i i did uh in high school i did plays every year uh, we had a great teacher his name was joe esley and he was uh we had a huge theater arts department at scottsdale high i mean giant we had like a three thousand seat auditorium and mm -hmm. we had all these rooms for you know, I was in this group called the Scottsdale Singers, and then we had like a theater arts room and a construction area, and it was massive. It's, I mean, schools don't have that anymore, but right. we used to do plays every year, and, you know, every year from uh, of high school, I did a musical, and or two or three musicals. Sometimes we did dramas. I did Cyrano de Bergerac. Oh, yeah. And I did, uh, and, but then we did Music Man and Camelot and Oklahoma, and I was Little Abner. I played Little Abner as a 90-pound weekly. <laughs> and I, uh, uh, you know, I was just one after the other. And then, you know, I went to Arizona State University, and, uh, and I thought, oh, well, musical comedy, you know, I want to be a serious actor. And so I, went, I was taking drama at Arizona State and I wouldn't do musicals I would only do like Shakespeare and Ibsen and Chekhov yeah. and uh, uh, you know serious stuff and then uh, and then yeah I I bailed uh, in my sophomore year uh, uh, I just I don't know I couldn't take it anymore and I was working a job and living, you know, in a little crappy apartment near in Tempe. And and I had a bunch of friends. I had a bunch of hippie friends. And uh, we used to, you know, and they had like a little commune kind of place way out of town, out, outside Phoenix. It was called, it was on Baseline Road, way south of, of town. And I, I used to go out there and we'd hang around and smoke pot all night long and you know, listen to music, right. and uh, and so one of the guy, the, the kind of leader of the of the group, Terry, his name was Terry Malloy, and Terry said, "Well, you know, we're sick of the city. We're we're going to drop out." And 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 a whole bunch of, uh, gosh, I guess it was about ten of us. We decided to move 
up north, uh, northern Arizona, to a ghost town called Jerome. And Jerome was a ghost town. Well, it wasn't really a ghost town, but it was originally a mining town where uh, there was a copper mine there. And so there was all of these... uh, It was a tiny little town on the side of a mountain, Mingus Mountain, and there was all of these uh, miners' shacks, little clapboard, crappy little houses Mm -hmm. where all the miners lived. And finally... uh, the the mine ran out. That they took all the copper out of the mine and they bailed out. And the mining company left, and all the miners left to go wherever the next you know slag heap was going to be. Right. And uh, and so there was all these empty shacks all over town. So we moved up there. The ten of us all just took off. I dropped out of college, and uh, we moved to Jerome. And uh, everybody got their own miner shack. I had my own miner shack, and uh, you know it was it was uh, it was uh, it was pretty rudimentary. It was pretty, you know, no electricity, no indoor yeah. toilet, no. I, I think there was running water, but I can't remember. And we used to just, you know, everybody we'd meet at somebody's house every night, and somebody's girlfriend would cook dinner, and we just hang around, you know, yeah. hoping someone would come from Phoenix with, with pot to smoke. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and God, I lived there for, shit, uh, that was, that was, uh, we moved up there in January of 1968, and we, and I lived there, I actually, I lived there for about, gosh, only six or eight months, and I just couldn't, you know, nobody was working, We nobody had any money, you know. My dad used to bring up 25-pound uh, bags of brown rice, <laughs> and uh, uh, finally I just couldn't take it anymore, and I went to work for a cattle rancher. I, I, uh, I became a cowboy, and, right. uh, and I knew how to ride, and, my, you know, I grew up, and my dad was a riding instructor and a horse show judge, and so my brother and I were, you know, into we we had horses from. As soon as we moved to Scottsdale, we had horses, and we were riding around all over the place. And so I knew how to ride. So I went to work for this cowboy, and uh, moved out to the ranch, Perkins Ranch. Awesome. So, uh, and then and then I kind of uh, from there uh, moved. I, I I had known Roger in Prairie. And uh, and they had a bass player named David and Roger's band, the Red, White, and Blues band. Uh, they they came up and played for a wedding, uh, uh, cowboy wedding, because I I do you know so they asked me, you know a band? We need a band. And so I got a hold of them and I said, come up and play for this wedding, and they did. And and uh, and then that was kind of uh, that was like the summer of '69. And uh, and then uh, Prairie got a scholarship to the San Francisco Art Insti- Institute, and he was an artist. And he out of high school, he got a scholarship to the Art Institute, and and said, "Well, I got to go. We got to move to San Francisco." And uh, and they were. It was about. It was right when I saw him up there playing at the wedding. They said, "Well, we're moving to San Francisco." And we need somebody to drive the truck. They had a big equipment truck, uh, and 
they didn't want to drive. They wanted to fly, but they they wanted and I and you know and I was pretty much fed up with being a cowboy by then, and uh, I said, okay, I'll drive the truck, and I did. I drove it to San Francisco, and that's where it all started. That's that's a cool story, and 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 of course you're talking about Prairie Prince, which I'm I'm a big Journey fan, so I know that he was there at the beginning of Journey. I think he he painted the uh, Raised on Radio album cover, I believe. Um, yep, he, that's right. He played with them for a while, and and uh, they wanted him to join their band, you know. And uh, but he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave Roger's band, and so he 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 didn't do it. And that says a lot for you know for a band. You know, you want to stay with your band. Then this, you know, what happened to that band? And uh, can you tell me about was wasn't there a story? Speaking of Journey, wasn't there a story about Herbie Herbert and Bill Graham getting you a gig, uh, opening up for Led Zeppelin? Right. I think? Yeah. How did that work out? Yeah. Yeah. Herbie Herbert. Before he managed Journey, Herbie wanted to be our manager, and we had never heard of him. We didn't. He goes, "Oh, I can get you this gig," and he got us a gig opening for Led Zeppelin at Kizar Stadium, which was a football stadium in San Francisco where uh, that had been abandoned. Forty, the 49ers used to play there, but they got a new stadium. They got Candlestick Park, so they moved away. So there was this big stadium, and we played in 1972. Uh, it was right as, you know, the band had just formed. The Tubes, had, Bill Rogers' band and Bill Spooner's band had kind of merged, merged together to form the Tubes, and we played uh, for Bill Graham at at uh, Led Zeppelin, Lee Michaels was the uh, the other act, and uh, uh, it was the tubes, Lee Michaels and Led Zeppelin, and and it was a daytime concert uh, at this big football stadium, and they had let the people uh, in the night before, mm-hmm. so all these people were camping out in the infield, wow. and uh, you know with blankets and sleeping bags and everything, and we went on at like ten thirty in the morning. And started playing, and uh, the, all they—I mean—they just screamed Led Zeppelin at us <laughs> the entire time. You know, get off right. the stage. They never <laughs> heard of the Tubes before, and uh, and they screamed. You know, so we we uh, we uh, we did the gig, and uh, we made we made two hundred and fifty dollars for the show. Wow. And but somehow. Herbie never paid us. Uh-oh. We I don't remember really what happened, what what the problem was, but we never got paid, and so we said, no, well, you can't be our manager then. Oh wow! And so he went on to manage Journey. <laughs> That's I'll I'll have to I'm gonna have to post that part and say Herbie, you know, can you cut him a check or something? You know, that, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's that's wow. But the beginning, there are all these stories. I'm sure you have all these stories. You know, over the years that you know that comes to mind, you're thinking, man, that's it brings back memories. Have you thought about writing a book or something like that? Well, I am actually writing a book. I'm, mm. I'm, I, my wife and I are working on a a fee. It's called Fee Waybill's Guide to an Unknown Trail. All right. Uh, we uh, and it, it was precipitated. Uh, my mother. Uh, my mother died in 2004, and we went 
you know, and I was living in California, and she still lived in the house in Scottsdale where we grew up. And uh, my dad was dead by that time. And uh, so we went to, uh, Elizabeth and I, uh, my wife, went over to Arizona to, you know, to help to, you know, we we had this house, and we didn't want to live in Arizona. And so uh, we were going to sell the house, put it up for sale, but we had to clear it out first and, clean, you know, get rid of all the old furniture. And, and as we were doing it, we were uh, uh, we were cleaning out her bedroom, and we, in the closet of her bedroom, we found all these cardboard boxes full of clippings. It was like every newspaper clipping of the tubes right. and magazine of the tubes and itineraries from the – oh, and it's just a huge pile of just wow. boxes. And I, I think I have – we've been working on I have one, two, three, four, five. I have eight boxes oh, wow. full of stuff. That's wild. And uh, – all of these old shows that she, you know, followed us and collected. And so that, that, uh, you know, we, we, we thought, Hey, well, let's, no, no, let's, let's collate all this stuff and put it together and do a book. So we've been working on it for years and, uh, it's getting close. Oh, yeah. We're, we're almost, we're, you know, we're hoping to, we're hoping to get done by the end of the year. Um, we've been working on it a long time and we've got a lot of, you know, we've had other people helping us, and we've had people helping us clear, you know, photographs and and magazine covers and various types of, you know, clearing rights to be able to use it in a book. And uh, so it's pretty. It's there's a lot of stuff in there, boy. It's <laughs> I mean, all my old high school yearbooks and you know the college stuff. I mean, everything is there. She saved everything. Oh wow! And. Uh, so we've got a good start going. That's great, man. That's and and of course she was a big fan, or she wouldn't have not have have kept all oh, those. God, yeah. Man, she, that's she, great. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Awesome. She came to see us every time we played Scottsdale. She was there. She came to see us every single time, and she, you know, she. We, I had I had people, you know, that were corresponding with her, writing her letters, you know, and. And asking for like pictures of me when I was a kid uh-huh. and stuff, and and she was she was uh, she loved it. She 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 was really proud of me and really really uh, you know really was behind me. You know yeah. because I was you know I wanted to be uh, I was going to to uh, you know I was going to college, but you know I was thinking you know I wasn't acting wasn't my major. Uh, I was I was a like a political science major, okay. and I didn't know whether I wanted to do politics or. And I was also taking oceanography classes. I always, you know, I was trying to, you know, my plan was to transfer to Scripps Inst- Institute in yeah. California to do oceanography, and uh, and then I, I I don't know the whole thing just kind of it faded away into the ghost town of Jerome. But uh, still, still a big fan of the ocean. I have to say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whenever we go on vacation, it's got to be ocean. It's got to be a beach somewhere. Yeah. You know, that's good. Yeah. Some kind of beach somewhere. I hear you. Yeah, that's that's always the nicest areas are the beach and the ocean stuff like that. That's great. Uh, so uh, I think this year, this year, uh, your album uh, with the tubes, the completion backward principles, turned it forty. 
what kind of memories do you have since it's the anniversary of that album? What, what comes to mind when you think right. of making that album? Well, I mean, uh, uh, it was, yeah, we did this in 80, 80. I think it came out in 81, so it's 40 years. God, I didn't realize that. Uh, we had just, uh, it was kind of a transition period in our careers because we had been with A&M Records for five albums and, uh, and never really had a big hit and, you know, never really sold a, a lot of albums. We were kind of their, their cult band, their, their, their Herb and Jerry kind of liked us and, yeah. you know, that we were kind of their punky cult band, you know, to go along with our, you know, their, you know, Captain Tennille and yeah. the Carpenters and the Police and, right. you know, really commercial acts that were selling a lot of records. And they let us, you know, they let us get away with not making them a whole lot of money for about five years. And then finally went, okay, well, that's it. We're pretty much done with you guys hmm. now. And uh, we got, they let us go and we had nobody, we had no record company and uh, uh, we got a deal with Capitol Records and uh and uh, a uh, the the A&R guy who signed us was a drummer and his name was Bobby Columbia he was the drummer of Blood Sweat and Tears okay. and he had turned to an A&R guy and uh he loved Prairie he he couldn't believe what a great drummer Prairie was and so uh based on that basically he said well I'm going to give you guys a shot and I'm going to put you together with a producer who I think can make hits for you, David Foster. And uh, and uh, right, at, you know, at the time, it was kind of uh, we were, you know, I remember thinking, oh, the music business is becoming so corporate, right. and uh, you know, which is funny compared to what it is now. <laughs> and. This uh, We, uh, we, uh, so we kind of wanted to, we kind of wanted to, you know, and we were always parodying something, you know, either whether it was television and remote control or whatever. Uh, uh, so we thought, let's do kind of a really kind of a corporate kind of thing of, of, of sarcastic corporate look. And we all wore the suits and we found this record. Uh, we found this record in an old record store uh, that was from the, it was a sales record from the 50s and it was called the completion backward principle and it was done by this guy Stanley Patterson and it, it was a it was a principle that he would go he would this was in the 50s they were still you know doing door-to-door yeah. salesmen you know right. the encyclopedia guy would go door-to-door the the fuller brush guy would right. go door to door or uh, vacuum cleaners yeah. door to door. <laughs> and so this guy would go around to these companies and do seminars on how to get the salesmen to visualize the completed sale before they ever walked up to the door. That was the completion backward oh, okay. principle. Wow. You know, uh, imagination creates reality. That was the whole principle. Yeah. And get these guys to imagine the sale before they ever knocked on the door. 
and you were going to sell more vacuum cleaners that way. And we found this record, and we thought, oh, my God, this is so perfect. And, you know, and that kind of fed right into the whole corporate, you know, uh, look, gray flannel suit and, you know, corporate logos. And so the whole thing was just this concept that just kind of all fell together for us. And, uh, and, you know, we, we, that was, that was, that was the concept for the album. And, and David Foster came up and, you know, we started going over songs and stuff. And I mean, he was such a genius. The guy was so brilliant and he was such a great arranger. You know, he, he took these songs that were kind of, you know, that were kind of quirky and, uh, just, cleaned them up and yeah. turned them into these wonderful songs that uh, you know I think it's the best record we ever did myself and and he had never I, I think it, because of the newness we, I mean he had never done a rock and roll album to that point oh, wow. he had just finished uh, Boogie Wonderland with yeah. with Earth Wind and Fire right. and uh, and we were always kind of loved R&B stuff and we were big fans of Earth Wind and Fire but we never really did a whole lot of R&B kind of stuff uh we were pretty much straight rock and roll and so I think that melding of the two of the two of us him us wanting to do R&B and never done it, doing it and him wanting to do rock and roll and never having done it so it kind of it all it was the perfect storm yeah. you know yeah, that's. I, I was just thinking about that. It, it fits. I mean, it really, it really worked. I mean, it's got. It's a great sound, and I remember the the sound is yeah. And David Foster, I know he went on to work with Chicago like right after that, right? So he probably pushed yeah. him in that direction. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's. Oh cool. yeah, he's yeah. He had big hits with them too. Yeah, it's and and, and I guess I don't know what he. What does he do exactly to, I guess, to make these songs sound so good? Is he, does, he's got his strict way that he has things done, I guess, and he says, well, I want you to I do mean, this. He, 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 he was just, I mean, first of all, he had a great engineer. Uh, uh, Umberto Gatica was the engineer. He was a Chilean guy, and the guy was so brilliant. And, you know, he just, he just, uh, he just was a, he was a he, he was a perfectionist. He just he would make you do it again and again and again and again and again. I mean, the first time I sang a song for David Foster, it took me a week wow. to to get the vocal for Amnesia. It took me a week, and you know I kept doing it again and again and again. And you know back then, uh, it wasn't like today with Pro Tools and digital. I mean the digital world they can you can fix anything yeah. you don't have to sing great you don't have to sing on pitch right. you don't have to sing in time it'll fix everything for you right. but back then you couldn't fix anything you it was very hard to punch in to a 24 track tape and get it to be perfect like like today yeah. and uh so you didn't do you couldn't do a lot of editing and you couldn't do a lot of punching in or flying choruses from here to there you know like you do now right. and uh so I mean, he just he just made you do it again and again and again and again, and and if you weren't cutting it, he would just send you home. You know, if somebody was hungover or you know the keyboard player was was playing, it was rushing everything. Just go okay, just relax, go just go on home, and then while you were done, he would go in and play it himself. <laughs> wow. And 
so you know we had we had a we had other people helping us on that record because you know he was impatient and he wanted it perfect and if you weren't cutting it you know okay well go home we'll we'll do it later and then somebody else would come in and get it done for you and help you do it and uh it was all about the 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 means to an end with him yeah. the end had to be perfect and whatever means he needed to use to get there that's what he would do well, it, and, uh, it sounds like he was going by the the uh what you were talking about with the out in the uh, completion backward principle it sounds like he had that thought in his mind too <laughs> because he already yeah, in his go. mind right exactly <laughs> exactly yeah very good 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 call you know absolutely he he could see he could see it he could see the end he was looking for and uh and you know he was going to make it happen no matter whatever way he could so he he was he was a genius the guy is a is a is really a really great arranger and producer and he just has that that ear you know he really he really has an ear that, that it's unique and in your next album uh outside inside and i know everybody remembers she's a beauty i mean i know they played that on mtv a lot why do you think that song was so popular i guess because of what we just talked about though is why do you think everybody really caught on to that song and they played it all the time you know the video all the time yeah i know it was a uh it was it was that that was a song that uh i wrote with steve lukather from toto and He's, uh, I mean, once again, he's another genius. You know, he's yes. he's uh, a great guitar player. And uh, and Steve and Dave and I sat down together one morning, and he just pumped that out in like five minutes. He had that lick, and we just, went, oh my <laughs> god, you know. And uh, uh, I just, you know, I think I don't know. I I, I kind of like. The I think I think it maybe outside inside is a little too slick sometimes a little too produced yeah. you know whereas right. in completion backward principle uh, it was a lot more raw and and you know it was it was kind of more rock I think more rock sounding and and that's why we decided to you know do this you know we had never done uh, a whole album. You know, a lot of bands have done that. They, you know, reprised their whole album and played the whole album in the show. And we had never really done that. And uh, but uh, uh, it's funny. They uh, there was a guy at Universal. You know, Universal owns all of the A and M and Capitol material now. And a guy at Universal approached us and he said, "You know, I really love this album, and we'd like to do." Uh, uh, a reissue of it in vinyl mm. and uh and and make it you know remaster and reissue and make a new uh a new package it, it, it's the and, and 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 we went god that'd be great you know mm. we had we had you know hadn't produced anything in vinyl for what 40 years yeah right and uh uh so that kind of that kind of precipitated the whole thing and doing the whole tour and, and, you know, selling of the vinyl and, uh, and, and putting together a whole completion backward principle tour. And, 
we had started it actually we started it in in 2019 is when we actually started it and then the whole pandemic hit and we kind of uh you know obviously quit playing gigs altogether Mm -hmm. and uh and then you know when when uh it looked like things this fall and it looks like things are starting to open up again we thought you know well we never finished we never finished touring with it you know where there's a, all these tours all these dates we're doing in october are shows that we never did before you know we never did the show we right. never did this show uh in any of these you know new york city or buffalo or, or wherever chicago minneapolis omaha uh boston all these dates that we're doing in in you know we hadn't done this show so we thought well hell let's just keep on doing it Let's just do it, at least do it till the end of the year, until we, you know, until we uh, play, you know, and, and and we've always, you know, over the years, we've always changed our show. You know, we'll do a show for about a year, a year and a half, and we kind of have different themed kind of shows. We did, like the last show before this was called Mondo Pulp, and it was kind of a, a uh, tribute to Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. and and wow. Pulp Fiction because yeah. we love that movie. Right. And then before that, we did kind of a tribute to Fellini and Satyricon mm-hmm. and all those, uh, you know, his kind of Italian kind of Marcello Mastroianni stuff. Yeah. And uh, before we did a, we did like a spaghetti western show where we did the Ennio in, uh, Morricone material from uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly and those spaghetti westerns that Clint Eastwood did and uh, did kind of a whole Tubes Wild West show. And so I think that's, I think, you know, and we keep changing it up, you know. I I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, we're still touring and we're still doing nice venues and people are still coming to our shows because they know that, you know, it's, you know, they're going to see a new show. Yeah, you know, the, it's going to be different than the show they saw last year or the year before or whatever. And uh, so it's it's uh, you know it's just kind of always been our our version of perform performance art. Right, and that's and, uh, that's what your love the theatrics. And, yeah, that your love of uh, Broadway and and things like that and acting all come into play, right? When you're doing all that, right? Right. Right, they they exactly they all we we use all of our talent. I mean, like all of our album covers and photographs and and T-shirts and that's all from the artists from Prairie and Mike, the artists of the group, wow. and all the you know the the costuming and the characters and is all kind of my I I still uh, I love acting and I I, I work at a theater in uh, Michigan called the Barn Theater. It's a summer stock theater. And I go back there, you know, every other year or so and do a bunch of plays in this theater. It's a, a big milk barn turned into a theater. Oh. It's really, really, really a beautiful place. Wow. And, you know, I've been, I do, I don't know, I've done Rocky Horror Show about a hundred times, done Frank Furter, and then I did, uh, I did the Monty Python play, Spamalot. Oh, wow. I played King Arthur and a a bunch of other plays and uh uh and i just you know it's it's uh it's just 
what I live for. You know, man, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm visualizing Broadway. I'm, uh, imagination creates reality. That's it. You know, that's the completion backward principle. So I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping that, uh, on my mind so that it'll happen at some, at some point I'm sure it'll happen. There you go. That, that's a good, uh, it's, I'm glad I saw that. I mean, I mean, I was thinking about that that whole idea, though the uh, um, of that principle, you know, because I, I, there was a book I was reading about that, talking about seeing the end before the beginning, and uh, it, uh-huh. I, I think it works. I think yeah. it, it really it keeps you positive and keeps you focused on what your mission and, and what you're supposed to do in life, and I think it works. Right. It, really, it really works. Exactly. I think it really does. I think. Uh, uh, you know, I I think a lot of people are aware of it. I my, my Richard March is like my, my best friend. I've worked with Richard for years mm-hmm. and years and written songs with for years and years with him. And you know, I just released a, a solo album. Well, not just. It's been the middle of the pandemic, but uh, I released a solo album uh, that Richard and I uh, wrote together, the music and the lyrics, and uh, and that was something that. We manifested, you know, years ago. He said, "You know, you should, let's do another solo album and and uh, uh, for you." And and I said, "Yeah, great." And uh, you know, we started doing it, and it, you know, it, it's like five years in the making. And but we kept the vision, and we kept, you know, thinking, "Go, well, well, what about you know? Let's get together and do another track. Yeah. Get together." And finally, in the in like 2019, uh, we. Uh, you know, I had a I had a couple of months off, and he had a couple of months off, and we said, let's just finish it. Let's finish our dream here, go in and get it done. And we got it done right in like January or something of 2020. And then the pandemic hit, and we thought, oh no, you know. Yeah. And then we thought, no, they the perfect time to to put it out because people. They're quarantined. They want to hear something new. That's true. Something different. And, right. You know, it we're 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 we've you know everybody's looking for content. That's right. You know, they've they've seen it all. They're binge watching. You know, so so uh, and that's a big you know that's he believes in the same thing manifestation. Yeah. Just manifesting your destiny and thinking about it and creating it and making it a reality. Yeah, well, that works. Well, when you met Richard way back in the day, I think y'all were writing a song for Vixen, right? It wasn't that about the time. Well, that was, I met him way before. Oh, you went before him that? in the studio when we were at the, with the Tubes in the studio in 1983. Okay, and he had come to a session that uh, that David Foster was doing because he wanted to meet David Foster. Okay. And we said, yeah, come, you can come to our session and hang out and meet Foster. And he did. And then after the session, he said, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your lyrics. Could you want to write a song together? So we wrote a song together and, uh, and that was for, that was it on my first solo album, read my lips in 84. And then, uh, I think, uh, and we just kept on writing. And then eventually we did write the the Vixen hit. He produced that first Vixen album, uh, "Edge of a Broken Heart" was the song, right. and uh, and uh, so you know it's been. I think I gosh, I met him in '83, 
So it's been 38 years wow. ago. Well, I and we're still friends. He lives out here in Malibu, and, you know, we just had a big birthday party. You know, we're both Virgo babies, and we had a big birthday party. His birthday's the day before mine, and so we had a big party out at his house, and and a bunch of friends came over, and it was his sons are my god. I, I'm the godfather to his three sons. Oh, wow. And they're all unbelievable musicians, just I mean, Brandon's a drummer, and Jesse's a guitar player, and Lucas is a keyboard player and songwriter and producer. And he, these guys, I mean, it's a completely different business than it was when, you know, when we started. Yeah, uh, but it, it helps to have your dad uh, as Richard Marks too, right? If, if, yeah, giving you all the talent. It doesn't hurt, <laughs> does it? No. <laughs> and he he uh, doesn't hurt. He produced your. I mean, you produced his album too, right? On uh, Rush Street, right? Well, I produced some of, not, I can't really say that I produced it, but I produced some of the vocals. I mean, uh, that's, that's, he, he's, uh, he pretty, he pretty much produces himself yeah. most of the time, but he, a lot of, a lot of times, especially on a song that I wrote the lyrics to, and I've got, you know, and I've got kind of a, uh, a melody idea or a way to, a, a phrasing idea. And so he'll bring me in to help produce you know, a vocal that I, that it, probably a vocal that I wrote the lyrics for. And, you know, that's the kind of way we work. And, and cause he, you know, he's, a, he's, he is every bit as brilliant as David Foster. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's better for me than David Foster yeah. because he knows me. And he, like on this last record I did, Fee Way Bill Rides Again, he, he got vocals out of me that I don't, I didn't even know I had in me. <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, he just, he just, we're so close and he just knows me so well that he knows what I can do. And he knows if I'm singing sharp or, and how to fix it. And he knows, you know, how, how hard he can push me. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, it's usually farther than I think I can go. And so, you know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a, a friendship and a working relationship born of you know, 38 years of, of, yeah. of working on it. Right. And then, like you said, I guess you'll be working on some more stuff. And, and what about, I know you just said you did a, uh, a the solo album. So what about any, is the tubes music coming up? Uh, well, there, there, we're definitely working on it. We've got a number of songs in the can and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love, you know, it's, because everyone is so busy and, you know, Prairie's out with other people and Roger's got a solo band and I'm down here in L.A. They all live up there in San Francisco area. And so we little by little, you know, we've I think we've got, uh, he sent me a song just the other day that I'm working on now. Uh, one, two, five. I think we've got like five tunes uh, that, and maybe uh, three or four of them, are, are have already been started you know already have tracks in the can so uh yeah it's it'll i figure you know give us give us another what uh maybe 10 years okay <laughs> i don't know i don't know it's probably not that long obviously uh but but yeah we've got some uh we've got a bunch of stuff that we're in the process of working on Awesome, and and like you said, you're talking about your uh, you got some concert dates coming up. I guess next week, 
Is that right? Yeah, we've got a bunch of, well, in a couple of weeks, we've got concert dates. Oh, where, what city are you in? I'm in, I'm in Alabama. I'm down here in South Alabama, oh, close oh, to Mobile. Alabama. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, really? We just played Mississippi uh, a couple of weekends ago. We okay. played South Haven, Mississippi, which is kind of a suburb of Memphis. But, uh, yeah, we got a bunch of dates coming up this month, mostly northeast kind of dates or Midwest kind of Cincinnati, Cleveland, New York, Boston, Buffalo. Uh, we are, I think the farthest South we're getting is Leesburg, Virginia. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, we have a, we have a bunch, uh, a bunch of shows coming up this month and then, uh, and then, you know, the holiday, we'll probably take the holidays off and then start up again, you know, next year. It looks like we're going to do some dates with the B-52s oh, yeah. in the spring of next year. And uh, uh, so it's, you know, we're ramping it back up again. The The world is opening up again. That's always a good. That's good, man. That's That makes oh, everybody man, smile. I, I, I bet you missed yeah, it, right? Yeah. Oh my God! I was going crazy. Are you kidding? I'm I'm surprised my wife didn't divorce me. <laughs> For the last 19 months, I've been completely psycho, mm. you know, and and just you know, worried that I could never. I mean, my whole life has been on the stage, you know, and I, even though I I I, I released this solo record, you know, there's no place I can play it because right. everything is closed. Right. And so I, you know, I, that makes it even worse. You know, to make a great record and then not be able to do anything with it. So it's, so yeah, I've been complete, completely psycho for, so, <laughs> for 18 months. I've been complete psycho. I can't believe that she puts up with me. But, uh, <laughs> but thank God, you know, it start. we started in August and, uh, gosh, we've played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven shows so far. And we're going on to play another ten or more here in in October. And uh, gosh, what a relief! What a relief! Yeah, and it sounds like it's going to start picking back up, and maybe it'll just be where you're you're wide open next year. And uh, sounds like fun. Yeah, I, I yeah. Hope so I think so. I think it's you know as the numbers as the as the new case numbers are going down, and going mm-hmm. down, going down, and the hospitalization is going down, and it's just it's all just turning around, you know, and everybody is is uh, everybody is getting back into the swing of things again. And and I know fans are excited, and I know that all these '80s music fans loving all these songs, you know, list, remembering bands like the Tubes or B- B52s or something like that. I know they're excited, you know. And I, oh yeah, yeah, oh I'm, yeah. We've been selling. I mean, here in the shows that we've done so far, almost everyone has sold out. I mean, people are just going crazy, and they're, you know, of course we're in, we're in, uh, you know, the West Coast is is there's a pretty high percentage of vaccination here, yeah. so people are not quite so, you know, paranoid about right. getting sick, and uh, especially California shows, you know, we have a really high percentage, right. and uh, and then we did. Uh, an Arizona show, and like I said, we did a even the show we did in Mississippi. I mean, the, there was a lot of people there, and it was at a fair, and there was a ton of people. They were, you know, mm-hmm. and very few were wearing masks, right. and and uh, everybody was happy, and you know, really, 
you could tell, you could see it in their face. They were so thrilled to be outdoors, yes. you know, and going around and riding rides yeah. and watching music. It was it it was really great. That that's what's going to be so cool about like the future. You know, is getting back to normal and and hearing great music. You put that combo together is is just awesome. And um, yeah. But I yep. I appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate you uh, talking to me today. I won't keep you or anything, but I I thank you so much for uh, sharing some stories. Looking forward to uh, you know hearing from you and uh, out there having fun on tour and that book that you were talking about. You know, I want to see yeah. that when it comes well, Gary, up. Gary, thanks for having me. I appreciate it on your on your real music podcast yes. there and. Uh, uh, you stay safe out there, okay, man? I don't know when we're going to ever make hey, it to Alabama, but... I might have to come know. find you somewhere out there. <laughs> okay. I, I, have to, I have to show okay, up man. randomly somewhere out there, but I'll... Yeah, man. I, yeah, no I'll, problem. I'll do it. No problem at all. And thanks so much, no man. Okay, well, thank you, man. I appreciate your time, okay? All righty. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Hello, it's Gary here. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you like this episode, please share it with all your friends and let everybody know about it. And if you like it a lot, maybe you can help out. You can support this channel by clicking on the support button and you can donate whatever amount that you feel like once a month. And I would greatly appreciate it. It helps me out so much. And you can also check out my YouTube channel that goes along with this podcast. It's called Real Music with Gary Stuckey also. So check it out. And uh, until next time, everybody, whatever you do, keep the music real.